regular starting time. Allow me to just to make a very brief introduction. Uh, it's a very great success that we have to get to hear a little bit, or hopefully a lot, from Ravi Sacher Ginsburg. We're so close to Rabbi Dov Feinstein's that's all for so many years. The Chazanish uh, reported to have said that um, the biography of a Godel is like a Musa Sefer. Of course, um, we know that uh, many times we read things that are so amazing and uh, it's not always uh, so common that we could feel we could relate to it. When I heard how Rizrocha spoke in Yeshiva Chavitz Chaim, I got the sense that in his presentation we could feel that we could relate to it to some degree. Of course, we can't simply copy. We have to try to learn, try to understand. And uh, that's what we're hoping to do tonight, to hear the words that will guide us, inspire us, that we could take from and try to be the best we could be. And if even one thing reaches one person, everything is all Kadai, like the Nesiva says in his Pirishan Kohelis. I'm sure that the last will reach many people, those that are here and those that will be listening afterwards. And it's a tremendous that we have. Thank you so much. So I guess I don't have to take a look. He side the magnet, so I could read a little better. Just a public announcement reminding everybody Kirishlavana, so in case you didn't do it yet. It's a little bit unnerving. I did not expect Zoom, especially having a camera right in front of me. I feel like I'm talking to myself and it's a little uh, a surprise I didn't expect. But that's okay. Should I move back? It's okay. I was asked to speak at many venues, really accepted. really accepted any invitation extended to me, but I decided to speak here tonight. Besides, everybody knows you can't say no to Rapuri. I tried. How many weeks have been trying to ask me to come? I kept on saying no. Um, I thought maybe he would forget, but he didn't. Uh, and second of all, the truth is it's for a very selfish reason. During, during the entire Shloshim, when all the speeches and Hespedim were going around, I didn't speak once. Uh, I was too hurt, was lost. Even today, Purim is this week. And last Purim, for the past 40 or 37 years, I ate better David. And I'm just telling his son today that I ate by a father in Purim Sud every year. I mean, throughout the year I ate a lot also, but Purim was the last suit I had with him. He got sick a little after Purim. We were going to eat Purim this year. I still don't know. On the way coming here, my sister called me and asked me, I'm going to give him Purim. Oh, got an invitation here. <laughs> then I have to worry about Pesach, we're going to read, but okay. Um, okay, took care of one problem. I could go, finished. Um, <laughs> But it's been a terribly difficult year so far. Uh, every year Purim was a given. This year it's not. Well, now it is. <laughs> um, the first time I did speak was at Chavetz Chaim Yeshiva. Only because Rabbi Glovat mentioned Chazal, similar to what Rabbi just mentioned, that if you mention, speak about a Gadol, speak about his, his Horus, his Anhogus, his Chidushim, brings it alive to you. And I needed it because the hurt was so deep. So I spoke first at Chavetz Chaim. It seemed that the Hebra, some of the Hebra seemed to like it. And uh, that's why I came tonight again. I spent the last three months reading so many articles from around the world, online, newspapers, 
listen to many different espadas and different chizuk. But so many stories were exaggerated. It was simply not true. Remember, somebody asked Shalter and Moshe, could their son read fables, you know, storybooks and Shabbos? So Moshe said to him, what's your alternative? So he goes, this is Puri Hasidim, this Sadiqim, all these art school books and whatever is coming out with all these Sadiqim. So Moshe said, that's not fables. <laughs> so stories are known to exaggerate, known to be blown out of proportion. Some of them were simply not even true. There's one famous story I read in one of the papers that the reason why David ate in peach shops was because he, when he signed a contract to work in MTJ, there was, I forgot to mention the contract, and it goes with lunch or breakfast, Shekhar V'chazah. Totally not true. First of all, there's no contracts in MTJ. I'm working there come out a quarter of a century and uh, never had a contract. And I shouldn't say that. That can be told tonight, don't come back tomorrow. But uh, it's understood that every Rebbe could eat in yeshiva and it's understood uh, part of the unwritten contract that every Rebbe eats in yeshiva. And and Rudover did eat many times when he couldn't get out. He had weather, no ride. So that story, I don't know where it came from. And even stories that are told that are semi-true, stories that only happened with me in the car. I don't know how people got to hear about it. I never publicized any of them. And yet the stories are out there about a story about stories about Rabbi David that only I could have known about. I remember we were coming back from a wedding from Lakewood and Shiva and I were in the car and the Rebbitson was coming down slowly. And she comes in the car and she tells her husband, did you hear the story that some Lakewood guy, coil guy just stopped and asked me if the story is true. And I never heard such a story. And, and she says the story and I'll, we'll get to it a little bit later on. And she, he said, yes, it's true. I said, yes, it's true, Rebbitson, it happened to me. And I proceeded to tell her the whole story. Somebody in the Lakewood wedding hall was telling the Rebbitson the story that she never even knew about. So it can't be that the stories that happened to me, people know, yet it's being written up in the papers. So I decided to speak to clarify and speak PMS to give you some idea of my experience of come out 40 years, which is probably older than some of your fathers and definitely old, you know, our age. How many years I spent with Rev. David? One of the lines that Rebbe used to get me to come here was that I was lucky to have been close to Rebbe David for come out 40 years. But many people were not Zaycha. So they didn't, they didn't have the mazel tov, the good fortune, the good luck to be closer to David. So I could maybe even give them some oris and some limut to see what kind of life he led and what he was like, and people will get to know from him. That's a big old to put on me to have people getting Musa and Hashkafa and Isaurus from me. But the truth is, Guri is right, because every time Reb David went anywhere, when he went to Israel, when he went to Europe, when he went to, he went to Toronto and I was supposed to go, my passport expired, so I couldn't go on that trip, it expired. Every wedding, every bar mitzvah, every base oval, I would go with him, I was his driver. So there's so much to speak about David. still very hard. T today I was in the office in the yeshiva and they're getting the dinner ready which is going to be this week. the virtual dinner and someone sent in an ad with one board a full page with one word. Unbearable. That's the whole ad. And that could have said it any better myself. It is such a sense of loss and such a uh, deep pain that I personally am still going through. So first of all, thank you in advance for listening and allowing me to somehow get myself some kind of an achama while bringing a part of David's life to you. Truth be told, I have no idea what to focus on because there's so many facets to his life. But as I said in Chavetz Chaim, that I cannot speak about, about his godless because I have no shyness to that. When Moshe was nifted in 1986, Oscar came to David and asked him just to write a book about Moshe. And David said, if you're writing about his 
Gainers don't. It's unrelatable. No one's going to understand it. If you're writing about his interpersonal relationships with people, then it's Kadai. And Rebetzin, Moshe's wife, has heard saying many times, no one can understand my husband's godless, but if they learn from him how to be a gentleman, and I remember her saying that English word gentleman, even though she spoke Yiddish, then it's Kadai to write. So I cannot relate to his goodness and learning. There's no shakas to that. I told over a story, I don't remember if it was on Chabot's time or somewhere else, that for David was never taught how to read Alpes from his father. In Europe, there was a rule, you know, the kids teach kids Torah. So Moshe had a room without windows where he would learn. And when he left, to go out for a minute or two, he left his swarm on the table. Rudolph would go in, pick up a safer, and went to his older sister and said, what's this and what's that? And he would learn an elephant base, and that's how he learned how to read. There was a rule in Russia, and I know it sounds ridiculous to even say it, but Russia feels they could teach us Midos Tobos. Russia has a rule that if a boy is sitting at a family seder, and here we're making plans for finding grandchildren and children and cousins and going to hotels, wherever our plans are for seder. If a child is seen at a seder, the family is automatically banished for a lifetime to Siberia. Why? Because the Russian government felt teaching a kid to steal the Afikoman and then giving a reward after stealing the Afikoman is tremendously bad meters. This is the Russians telling us about what bad meters are. So the punishment is banishment for life in Siberia. So Rabdovid didn't even see a Seder when he was growing up. He went to, they went to play at a neighbor's house. Yet by seven years old, and this was a mistake, because I did not plan to say this even at Chavetz Chaim, but someone spoke before me and made a mistake a little bit in the story. The story that he said was Rabdovid was in America at eight, nine years old, ten years old, and that's not true. The story took place in Europe. Rabdovid was in America by eight, so this story took place probably when he was seven years old. By then he read Tanakh Baalper. Tanakh, Yirmiya. Doesn't mean Shmulav Shulvezo Shulshot, which we all learn. I'm talking about Yirmiya, Cheskel, Daniel, Eov, Baalper. Maybe Baalkari, who reads from Klaf every week, maybe knows parts of Yeshaya. Baalper, that people in the shtetl would test him as a game, either misquote words or quote half Pusset to see if he would finish it. Then they would give him that coin, what do they call those Kopec coins? And he collected enough coins that he bought himself a watch. And the reason why I know this story took place in Europe is because he said that's the watch he brought with him to America. I'm 65 years old. I don't know Tanakh, Baal I don't even know Tanakh. I never learned. Mishle and went through all the other Nevi'im Ksuvim to know Baal At seven years old, Moshe knew Baal to his goodness. Someone showed me a Yardea Chael Galef, Igris Moshe. Your Moshe writes a long tshuva, and if you want to know where, the, where there is, I'll tell you later. And at the end, he said, an Araya was brought from my son David, from Masha in Zvachim, Yivamis, and Big deal. Tom Chaf knows the Mashan Yevamis was welcome, but when you look at the date of the Tshuva, we figure out in the Yeshiva that Rado was altogether 11 years old at the time. And he's been a writer, a Moshe's Tshuva from a Mashah or from an Achron, an early Achron in, in, in an extremely difficult Mesechah. Just the other day, Rabbi Geshen Brafman was telling me he teaches in Tvers Moshe. And to expand the boy's knowledge and depth, Getting ready for high school, he once brought in a divros to go through a small piece of a divros. And the kids were hawking at a certain point. So that night, Gershon Bratton went to a wedding and he saw Rabbi David. And in the divros, Ramosha writes that David, my son David, was Mechadish to this swara. That means you're into the sugya, you work on a chabura, you're into the sugya, and Mechadish, a small dakidakas of a point. So Chadish, Chiddush, that he wrote in the, in the Divros. So Gershon Brafman goes over to Rabdavid at the Chuppah, with hundreds of people going to get Esbrachas and Shilas to Rabdavid, 
and he tells from David, I'm teaching this, you know, the boys, and we did certain igros, and they had a kasha. And before he says the kasha, David was already into that sugya so fast. I don't know when the last time I learned the Masechta, especially to remember the Dibros that they wrote for his father many, many years ago. He was into it on the spot at a chasnavo, and usually the, all the tumult, you're not even focusing, and he was answering Pshat in the Dibros to Rabbi Gershon after having to tell his class the next day. Rabbi walked away, he thought you have to remind Rabbi David, and Rabbi David would say, yeah, I remember that, I'll look at it when I get back, on the spot. So to relate to his guidance, I can. To relate to his level of what he, like, like Rabbi David said about his father, or like what his wife said about her husband, I, I, it's unrelatable to me. So that's not what I'm going to focus on. But I could focus on his chesed, his midos. Simple chesed. I told over the story so on just this Shabbos, I was away for Shabbos. We were in Eretz Yisrael. Did, I, did you hear the story before that in Eretz Yisrael? Chazor it open. <laughs> uh, we were in Eretz Yisrael and Simcha Hachbaum was an old Talmud MTJ who now lives in Hebron. And he once told us that in Hebron now, nowadays, except for the year of COVID, it's different, but it used to have 300 or 800,000 people coming to visit Hebron a year. Come on, a million people a year visit Hebron. His job was head of tourism in Hebron. He worked for the government in Hebron and he arranged all the tours, but he heard his Rebbe, Reb David, was an agent Israel. He volunteered and he said, I'm going to come over myself to escort Reb David to give him a tour. Picks us up. First stop to Hebron, if you all know, is Kevin Rachel. And as I said over uh, this past weekend or a week or so ago, I told the story to somebody. I said, Rabbi and the Rebbe got off Chev Rachel. They were in the spal. Of course, I wasn't being spal. I was taking pictures. Then we get out in the car. We go back in the car. And Simcha Hachbaum, who was sitting in the front, and the Rebbe was sitting next to him. I was behind Simcha Hachbaum. And Rabbi was behind the Rebbe. So Rabbi and I were in the back seat. Simcha Hachbaum turns around to Rabbi which is diagonally across from him. And he tells David, 20 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever, we'll be in Marasach Pele, Hebron, we'll be in Hebron. David said, let's go back to the hotel. So Rebbitson turns to David and says, you want to go back to the hotel? Did you make an appointment that I'm not aware of? He says, no. Do you feel okay? Yeah. Let's go back to the hotel. So Hachman looks in the rear mirror at me in the back, seat, back of him, and he's trying to signal to me what's going on here. So I figure I'll ask David. He says, Rebbe, I think a partial. He said, Rachel, Mason Rachel was died. You're the Valkyrie. What's the Ephros? He makes Lechem Rebbe. It's on the road. This is the tour. No one goes from Kever Rachel back to Yushlaim and then come again to Mozach Pela. That's not the route. You have to go. That's the way. So David said that all year long, well, first, he tells the Rebbe, I'm not going because I remember the picture of Marasach Pele, a lot of steps going up to the, the Mara, to the Mara. And the Rebbe said that time was on a walker, she can't manage the steps. So Rebbe thought he was joking and giggled and laughed and said, it's okay, me standing at the bottom of the steps of the Marasach Pele is still closer to the Kiryavos than the FDR drive the Lower East Side and the Houston Street or Grand Street. I don't mind. <laughs> it's okay, we'll go. So David says that all year long, I'm busy in the whole yeshiva with Shilas and the Talmidim and Shiurim and Wednesday's meetings and weddings and every this days are never end. I'm on vacation with my wife. She can't go. I don't go. What a sense of chesed, of sensitivity. So the Rebetzin said, I do not mind going. And maybe Chavaz Chagai will understand this, and, and in some kind of a darkest level, he understood that she really may have felt uncomfortable being alone while he's up in the Marasach So he said, if she doesn't go, I don't go. And we ended up not going to Marasach Pele that trip, and I, I've never come back to Marasach Pele after that. I mean, even we go to weddings so every night. 
every other night, whenever we went to Wachasnas, we left the yeshiva usually at 6.30 during the winter because 6.15 is Meirev in the yeshiva. And we left right after Meirev. And the chuppahs were usually called, usually wedding invitation says 6.30, Shmog 7.30 chuppah. So we would aim, if we leave 6.30, sorry, we get there at 7.15, plenty of time for David to write, finish the ksuba and you know, get ready. Every single time we go, no matter what traffic was like, how late or how early we got to the wedding, we would get out of the car. And we started walking within a few steps, we would stop. And I say, Rebbe, it's time. She says, but Rebbe, she's no walker. She's not walking so fast. He mama stood in the street and waited for her to come with her and walked slowly with her into the chasen hall. The ganze welt could be there with the chesed to a wife. She can't go. I'm not going to start a chuppah and go down and let her come a little chuppah and come late and walking alone and I'm going in with her. The littlest midos, which I, you'd only picture how a husband and wife would behave to each other, he would never get into the car. Come out never. I told him once in Lakewood he was in the car because she didn't know where she was. Without her getting in first, he would hold the door open for her till she got in, he closed the door, then he got into the car and sat down. Simple chesed. Like Moshe's wife said, a gentleman. There's a local newspaper here in Queens. I think it's called the Jewish Views or something. Uh, it is, they have one of the back pages, a joke page, where they come up with crazy questions. What's your favorite Shabbos food? What's your favorite vacation place? You know. So they once had an article that became famous now, also became famous that they once had, uh, had a question. If you had three guests in the world, who would you, who would you want to invite to your, your table? Come to your house to visit. And they asked from Chashver Rabbanim to Bachram in the streets, to women, to businessmen, to B'nai Torah, everybody they would ask. And they won't give their own answer. And some people would answer Moshe Rabbeinu, Rambam, Chazonish. Some of the Bachram would answer Derek Jida. Uh, everyone answered somebody. When somebody mentioned, even I remember in the, the, someone mentioned they wanted Dabra Melech to come if they were able to invite Dabra Melech to the table. Ashbizan, you know, we do it all the time. Rodolfo Feinstein said, if I can't, on the spot, they saw him in Brooklyn at a wedding, so the guy came over to him and asked him this question. Without even thinking for a second, his automatic response was three on the year. I want three on the coming to my table. His gut reaction, his automatic thinking, automatically always was for Nyenim, never for himself. We think we understand Midos Tobos. We have no idea what Midos Tobos are. There are two stories. One I may have said before. This one I definitely didn't say before. There was a man, David's once in his peach shop eating, and there was a man walked in asking for money. We all know David never speaks. Never spoke. Gave one word answers. Never spoke. Yet he got up, and uncharacteristically of him, he got up in the pizza shop and yelled, don't give him any money. Everyone was shocked it wasn't a double style to speak like that. And then later on, they found out this boy, man was a drug addict and he would collect money and buy drugs. Okay, so people later understood, but that does not where the story ends. Rabdova always went to the next step. Whenever Rabdova saw that man in the street, he would go to him, take him to a local restaurant, whether it's near the pizza shop or to another restaurant, Friedman's restaurant on the Lower East Side, wherever he was, and we'd sit down with the guy and give him a meal. Not just say, He's a drug addict, don't give him sucker. He would go to the next step and actually feed the man. Remember, there's a guy in Yeshiva who came over to Rabdavid once and was so excited and proud that he went to buy shoes right now here of Pesach. His shoes were nice shoes and he put it in the box and he put it on his arm to hold for Yontif and he walked out with his regular shoes. And he saw an onion in the street. Onion was waking, walking with ripped sneakers, flaps were off. It was like, looked horrible. So he decided, goodness of his heart, he was such a good bemooded boy that he took off his old shoes that he was wearing, gave it, and gave it to the onion. And then he took out the new shoes from the box and put it on, even though it wasn't Pesach. It came to Yeshiva and told him, I'm wearing my new shoes for Pesach because I did a mitzvah with my old shoes. So it said, beautiful. 
go to find out who the Oni was, and for then on, every Pesach, we went find the Oni and buy him, not give him the old. We know what Chesed is. We even think we learn Muslim. We know what Muslim Seder is and Midos Tobos. We have no idea how far Midos Tobos and Chesed went. All this was automatic reaction, like three Anim coming to his house. He didn't have to think twice. This was his automatic reaction. I just was told by Rabbi Bender told us a story. Rabbi Bender told us a story. Rockaway. I hate that reaction. Hate. Please mute, mute your computer. It, you, you need to get cut off because that, that's your reaction. Please mute it. Rabbi Bender writes. A story that when Shteman came to America for the first and only time, they hired a photographer to go follow, you know, go to a certain Kabir's house where he was staying at, take pictures. All the hundreds of people winding up to the brachas. And this working through the day, from seven in the morning for the dab from Shachras till 10, 11 o'clock at night. When the crowd was petering out, he asked the Balabas of the home, can I maybe go myself? I'm here all day and the whole world's coming to ask for brachas from Shteman. Can I go and get a brachas? So the Balabas said, of course. So he says, but all my equipment is outside. What do I do with my equipment? I don't want to leave it out in the street. I'm not stopping all the camera equipment in just to get a two-second Shalom Aleichem Bracha from Rostamen. Don't happen to have been there that night. And David said, I'll watch it. The Gadol Adar says he's going to watch a photographer's equipment while the photographer goes takes care of what he wants to take care of. The guy had no idea that it was David. David sat outside and watched. Now, there's another story which I confirmed today is may not be Rutherford it may be Rutherford Ruvain. I've always knew that the thought was Rutherford, and when I said over to the Menalady Shiva today that I might say the story tonight, he goes, I don't think that sounds like Rutherford, it might be Rutherford It's glad to hear the story anyway, whether it's Rutherford or Rutherford. Purim, now, is the busiest time for bakeries, besides for the Suda or the cakes for Shachmonas go out. Gretel's was the famous bakery in the Lower East Side. And that day, either the owner's father or father-in-law was nifted. And he had a dilemma. He has to go close the store and go to the Levaya, but so many people have ordered cakes for Shachmanus and Chalas for Shasuba. And he shuts the bakery now, like, Sarki Rabbin, Sarki Mitzvah, what should he do? He was all confused. He called his nephew to come to cover the store while he goes to the Levaya. Rudavid walked in after Shachmanus and the Yeshiva. And he says, on Purim morning, Rabdov was going home after the Megillah to go to the Suda, go home and get ready for all the people that come to visit Rabdov for Shachmanas. And Rabdov went to pick up the chalas for the Antif for the Suda. And he says, hey, I heard you have a Levaya. Why are you here? He goes, I have no one to cover the store. My nephew is on his way. Rabdov said, I'll stay here. You go to the Levaya. And Rabdov stood behind a counter selling, selling chalas and cake until the nephew came. The Menalde Yeshiva told me today he thinks that's Rabdovin, not Rabdov. It's still a tremendous thing to the hair. And then forgetting his chesed, it's a tremendous anivis. Rabbi Palagan was telling me I spoke to Miami Beach and he introduced me with a story to the boys. That every year he takes the eighth grade boys on a trip to New York. Excuse me, not the eighth grade boys, the high school graduating boys to New York to see all the Gedolim, meet the Gedolim, and of course one of the stops was always Rabdavid. He came into MTJ, and he sees the soda machine open, and everyone knows I'm going to say next, and he goes around the open door of the soda machine, and in there is, at first he didn't see who it was, it was an elderly man picking up soda cans and stuff, filling up the soda machine, and it was Rabdavid's mice, and he was mortified. Rebbe, what are you doing? So he goes, why not? The Torah didn't understand what was wrong. Why not? There's a story that I told you in the outset that happened with me, and I don't know how to go out there. 
and I wasn't sure if I should say it at Chavetz Chaim Yeshiv, and I did, and Guri said he liked that story, so I'll repeat it now before we go on to something else. Is what's called, became famously known as the hat story. You heard the hat story? How do you hear about it? It happened to me. Wow. Okay. But I don't know what version you heard, but I was, it happened to me. So let me tell you what happened. For a little, what? And he heard it from me? Okay. Um, Dovid's hat was always a little bit out of shape. And for many people, his Rebbitson and his kids were always trying to tell him to get a new hat. And he always said, Chtach, the Shadam needed. It was summertime. After Minchin, 1.30 Minchin, the yeshiva. We have a long break. There was no shurim in the afternoon because it was summertime. The Dovid gave a shurim in the morning, but in the afternoon there was no shurim. And my was not till 9.15, 9.30. So we had a long afternoon. So I mentioned to Rabbi Tavi, Mincha, Rabbi, you want to get a hat? He says, okay. And I was shocked. His wife, he said, no. His kids asked, he said, no. He went on the Holy Shiva. He said, Ginsburg, he says, yes. I get in my car. I drove over the Williamsburg Bridge, which is like, I tell you, it was 1.2 miles. I went very fast, so he shouldn't change his mind, and pulled up to Bencraft, right on the foot of the Williamsburg Bridge. It's not there, and I went, went by recently, it looks like they closed down. It was there for many, many years, 80 years, 70 years. We pull up there, and a young man comes out, a guy in his 40s, to me that's young. He comes out, and he says to Dovah Chalekha, Rabbi Feinstein. So Feinstein looks at him, he goes, do you don't know me? He says, no, I don't think so, do we meet? So he tells Dovah that when I was a little boy, I was in Yeshiva, and my parents, my grandfather owned the store. My parents didn't want the store. My father was an accountant or a lawyer. My mother, had, so they didn't want to take over the store. When I was from Yeshiva, Erev Yontev, Erev Pesach, Erev Sukkot, my parents were had to go to work and they didn't know what to do with me. So they took me here to the store to be with Zaydi, with grandpa, to take care of this help in the store. It was exciting, leaving the Yeshiva and helping in the store. I remember your mother, Allah Shalom, would call up the store at Erev Yontif and say that we needed white hat for a Meshav Yontif. So my grandfather would close at 4.30 the store and drive over the Williamsburg Bridge to Lower East Side with four or five hats. And he'd come to the Moshe and he'd try it on the hats and the Rebbe would say which one looked better on him. And I was the boy that take the So he said, oh, I remember the little boy, eight-year-old boy, six-year-old boy. He goes, yeah, that's me. I grew up just in six years old and now it's my store. My parents didn't want it. I had to go over the store. Very nice. I'll make him. Okay. What can I do for you, Rabbi Feinstein? So he says, I have to get a hat. He goes, what size? I said, I don't know. It's my store. And he turns to me. I turn around and I say, me? I don't need a hat. He says, why are you here? I said, because you need a hat. He goes, I don't need a hat. And this guy's watching this Abba Costello routine. And he says, so, so I said, Rebbe, why'd you come? Because I thought you needed a hat. So I said, why would I ask you to come then if I need a hat? So someone could see how it looks on you. So I am embarrassed Shankum, I can't even explain to you what I felt like at that moment. I said, maybe I don't understand this tripod mirrors here. Yeah, I can look in the mirror. There was a storm I could tell me what it looked like. And I used the word Chavetz Chaim and I said, this is only Chavetz Chaim I will understand the word. I said, Rick, what's your have, Amina? What do you think? I you may think it's no problem coming with me, but why would you think I would even have the chutzpah to ask you? You may think it's no big deal, but why would you think I would? What's the have, Amina, here? You think I, like, I, I don't know what to say. The looks at me and goes, why not? You need to buy a hat, someone should help you look what it looks like in a hat. I bought a hat that day. With Dove, at least I convinced him to take over his hat and the guy steam cleaned it. And that's as far as we got. <laughs> the way he thought automatically of someone else was always his first reaction. Yeah, Ted at one point had a Shilas that people call in for Shilas right in, and then they ask different Gedolim answers. I think they have that now with only two more, two people, I think Rabbi Goldberg or somebody in, in the Ted has two, two people now that left to do it years ago when they first started this every week they would ask other Gedolim. And they asked with David if he would be one of the people that could ask Shilas to come in. And they said, it's only, well, you print like two, three Shilas that come in, and that's it, one page. They said, I'll do it under one condition, because I'm sure you're getting a lot of Shilas in the mail, and I don't want people who have shilas to write to you, and you only pick two, three that you want to answer, and the rest are going to be lost. If you may tell me that you're going to answer every shilas that comes into you, 
you may not want to print all of them, but everyone who had felt that they were troubled with a question in the mind, that they wanted to have a shyly answered, if you tell me you will answer that shy, those shyness, then I'll do it. His automatic reaction is always thinking about somebody else. Said low battery just went off. Okay, try our best. Oscar asked me. Oscar asked me to write to to see some pictures because I'm known to have most pictures than anybody in the world has ever done. And the ones I have are not from wedding halls, but privately in the home. And just I just scraped my the top few pictures of my my office today of actually having David shopping. Right, or shopping for this time he's looking for tomatoes, or picture. Well, first of all, this is just from David last year at Megillah, last perm, the last perm that he had doing the Megillah in the yeshiva. I have a bunch of pictures here just to show you stuff that he would do around the house. David was set up. Sorry, let's replace the English. Something, something's wrong. Oh, no, no. David was set up. Um, a Shabbos salad. He would chop. He would serve salad. If someone else would chop the salad for him, he would add the vinegar, or whatever it has to make the salad dressing. He'd remove the hot meat from the oven. I assume when I took that picture, it was a Purim suit and not a Shabbos. I don't think I took pictures on Shabbos. Now it's serving on Shabbos by the meal. A lot of technical difficulties I see tonight. No, it's fine. No, would be in the kitchen serving the soup. And maybe you feel uncomfortable. I'm sitting by the table and he's serving the soup. At least when he's dishing out in the kitchen, I wouldn't see so much. And it wasn't so bad. But Lakewood Shopper Magazine quoted a story from me. That is true. They did call me the day he was lifted. I was just so destroyed. That's the only thing I told him. So the story goes that Lakewood Shopper asked me about a story about Rabbi David's chesed and kindness. I told him at the Purim Suda. At the Purim Suda, Rabbi David in the house, he had his family. Usually the son, Beryl, became another Rosh Hashiva. And his daughter, Rebson Pichels, and her family. Not Mori, because there's too many, the table didn't have that many, never room for all the, all the other kids. And he had two guests at the table. It was his close, he did Eugene Weiser and myself at the Purim Suda. But David would go around during the Purim Suda and pour champagne, wine, or champagne to every single person. I was sitting at the table and I get up and there's a man pouring. Wine into my glass and look up. There's a dove walk around the table to serve me wine. Very unnerving, very uncomfortable. But dove saw nothing wrong with this. Why not? Is hmm? I'll add one more quick story because I was getting late and I see that the battery's getting low on the phone. When I got my job in MTJ, let me tell you how this job came across. And this story, I did not tell you before for sure. Memorial Day weekend, you should have had a cold dinner in Avenue P in Flatbush. And the world's closed now for a long time. I think it was Przezinski that time. It was Przezinski? The Perian. What? The Perian. Okay. And my job was to stay upstairs and collect all the money and giving out the seating cards when people came in. Nowadays, it's done easy with computers at dinners, but in my days, it was done by hand. And I didn't mind sitting upstairs alone because I would not have to listen to all the speeches downstairs. And a man came over to me, Rabbi Bromfeld, an elderly man, a very close friend of David, and came over to me and said, do you have time now to talk? I said, yeah, the speech is going on. So I have time. What's going on? So he said, well, we want to hire Manal, then TJ, and we're thinking of hiring you. So I left. And... And I said, you kidding? You're joking? And I, I didn't get the joke. And that was it. He came up to me. There was more day weekend, end of May. He came up to me again once in June and twice in June. And I just poo-pooed it. 
July 4th weekend, we're in the yeshiva, as I told you, sometime there's no afternoon shiurim. We finish at 1.30. I walk out of the basement, out of the yeshiva. I make a left to go to the next entrance, which is the office entrance. The dog walks behind me and calls me. So he said, wait a minute. So I turn around in between the two buildings. And Rodot says to me, you know, we have, I sent someone to you a few times to offer you a job as Manali Yeshiva. And each time you turn it down. Why? I said, Rebbe, let's be honest. In the neighborhood here, I'm called Yisachar the Bacha. Everyone invites me. And I was a Rebbe that time in, in Queens. Yeah, I was a Rebbe in First Moshe for a while. Then I was in Hawk. Then I was in YCQ. So I was a Rebbe in Queens. And then there, I just, I had my place where I slept. And I ate and I lived. And I, so... I used to be work out a little and maybe run in the street and jog and then just be the manalith as a yeshiva supposed to have this chashiv the manalith is here you know you know it stands up and chashivas if I lived out of the town and I come in manalith one thing to live here and everyone knows me as you suck the bucket it wouldn't be so he looks at me like a blank face he had no idea what I was talking about so I got frustrated so Rebbe the biggest gadolim and the biggest richest people and banks people come to you and ask me deepest shyness and most technical questions they have and you understand them before they finish with their questions you understand them and me you don't understand it's not I'm Yisaka I'm not Rav Ginsburg so he looks at me and says I don't understand I'm David Feinstein what's the difference so, so I look at him I said Rebbe come on the between David Feinstein and Yisaka Ginsburg and he looks at me and goes what's the difference with such a tremendous, honest look in his eyes, he did not know what I was talking about. His face was blank. He did not know what I was talking about. There's a difference between David Feinstein and Sacha Ginsburg. I took the job. 24 years ago. And he hasn't been right. People still call me Sacha in, in the neighborhood because they know me as a kid. It's, you know, taught, you know, you know the people to change you to Rob Ginsburg all of a sudden. But the cover is there. The cover is there. Yeah, like David said, they call him David Feinstein, and they, he was David Feinstein, but he was still David Feinstein. And I have no problem with the Baldatim, the parents, the community, the people. Baruch Hashem, no problem. That's how I got the job. But David says to me, What's the difference between David Feinstein and Sacha Ginsburg? And Imamish had no idea what I was talking about. I have pictures of him helping the Rebbitson spread out the Shabbos tablecloth. And the pictures I took was Mutsoy Shabbos by Havdala. After Havdala, we cleaned up the Havdala. And then they started the table, you know, some of the tablecloths they put out the next week. And they started, him and the Rebbitson, it's very funny to watch. She and her walker, he's the Dover Kleins, nine years old, pulling out. And I'm sitting there taking, busy taking pictures. Shows you what level we I'm standing at compared to where Dover was at. Instead of thinking to offer the help, I'm thinking about how silly I was all this time doing that. I was busy taking pictures while they were sitting and struggling, opening up the tablecloth and opening up, the, spreading out on the table. Oh, I wish now I'd go back and do things differently. Maybe not. At least I have the pictures now. <laughs> um, but that's his, his chesed. Just to go to a side point about his brachas, the koch of his brachas. Was frightening. Just two or three brachas come to mind. We're in Hassan once, and a lady comes over to me, sitting with sitting by the chuppah, waiting for the chuppah to start. The lady says to me, Can I ask Rudavid for a child for a bracha? I said, Sure. She goes over to Rudavid and she says, I need a bracha for children. Rudavid said, How long are you married? Five years, six years. You never had no children? She goes, I had three miscarriages never. Rudavid felt very pain and said, I should have not owes you three. She had triplets the next pregnancy. <laughs> a lady in my yeshiva. She was a divorced lady, had a kid by us in yeshiva. And she asked for David, every time she brought her son to yeshiva, she asked for David for a bracha. For to get married, find another zivik. She was a young lady and she wanted another shidda. David gave a bracha, she got married. Then she brought a new cousin to her David, said a bracha for children. So she got a bracha, she had a child. But then she moved to Brooklyn and took her son out because they moved to Brooklyn. And for two years, I haven't seen her. And she comes back to Yeshiva with a little baby, a year two old baby. And she says, Can I meet Sir And I go, Sure, nice to see you. I bring it to Rodovid. She comes in. Rodovid says, 
this, and she goes, my new baby, with your brother came about a year ago, I had a baby a year or two ago. So goes, what do you have now? She goes, I have a boy from the first marriage, or a boy from this marriage now. So there was said, no girls? She goes, no, he goes, enough boys, get girls. The next three, four kids she had were girls. <laughs> now, here's a story I haven't never said yet to anybody. I was reminded of the story because it happened this week on Tiny Sester. Last year, Mamish a year ago. Tiny Sester is from Malaysia's yard site. Her daughter already was 90 years old. This was come out the last day that he was out because he got sick right after, right after over, over the Burma Suda. And he was fasting, stamped to the Slichos, Long Davening, Ganalia. Then he gave a shmooz, Mashkia gave a shmooz later on in the day, but then we had a little seam. And then Mincha, Mincha was also Torah, it was a long davening. By two, three o'clock, we finished, and he's exhausted. So I'm there ready to take him home. He goes, he needs to rest in his office a little bit. Meantime, someone tells me there's a girl in the hallway who's demanding to speak to her daughter. And people, the boys in Yeshiva are trying to poo-poo her. He's busy, he's fasting, and get away. And she refused to leave. So the guys came over to me and said, Yisachar, you're going to have to get involved. What's going on? I said, I don't know. There are a commotion. says, what's happening? I said, there's a girl in the hallway who demands to speak to you. So I go out and tell the girl, understand that there was shrach, and he's 90 years old, and he's fasting, and he down to the other shachos, and mincha. And it's Purim tonight, and he has to get ready for Purim. I'll come back another time. And she refused to budge. She goes, I'm from Lakewood. I I'm ready to stay all afternoon if I have to. I tell my mother I probably won't be back in time for Megillah tonight. I'll probably find Megillah being in Brooklyn. And so my, my brother was happy. He invited all his friends to come to the house, you know, and, and, and stay in the house because they can never come from home all this time. And I came to talk to Abdullah and I must talk to him. So I tell him, so he says, okay, stay in the office in case he's taka, uh, not normal or whatever, then you'll, you'll help get her out. She comes in and she goes, Mechil's Kavod Rebbe, I'm big time on Rebbe. And at that point, I was ready to physically throw her out. So Dava said, what's the problem? So she said, I came to Rebbe Hanukkah time, for bracha, to get married. And she gave me bracha. Maybe I was disrespectful, and I said, by when? So Roshiva said to me, Purim. Nothing. You gave me bracha, nothing. So David looks at her and says to her, why did you come to me for bracha originally? Because you're Adam Gadol, you're Gadolatar, you're Posek, and the brachas mean something. So if you have Amuna, in the brachas of a sadik, you said, in the brachas of a gadol, and you call me a gadol, and you have moon in the brachas. He goes, yeah. She goes, but it's not, then it's not Purim yet. Where's your moon? So she looks at what says, Rebbe, it's 3.15 in the afternoon. McGill is at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. I got to first get back to Lakewood. What are you talking about? It's Purim. So those, if you have moon, it's not Purim. Please leave. And she was there, say, just, you tell me, come to me, because you have a moon, and my bracha works. Then you come to the time. It's not for him yet. She was devastated. She figured it's three o'clock in the afternoon, three fifteen. She has time now to get back to Lakewood. She went back to Lakewood, and now you get the rest of the story. When she walked to her house, which some of her brother's friends were there, and she met someone then. She wasn't married, but she really met this cousin before her. <laughs> did you verify the story? I did verify. <laughs> the girl called me back a few days later, and if you, if you, you know, wow. she got engaged. And she, she wanted me to tell her David that she saw that she walked out so upset. And so she's engaged. Two hours before Purim. The stories of his brachas. I'll give you one more example. My teacher in the school, my math teacher, her husband was an old curly young man from the yeshiva, now works in the, in the business world. He came back to, to teach when he, while he was working to help the yeshiva teaching. And she's a teacher now. Her children came to MTJ. Her grandchildren came to MTJ. We're still now in MTJ. So she came to Rodovid once and asked Rodovid. Rodovid knows the family for 50 years on the east side. And she asked Rodovid for brother. Her daughter got married, lives now in Farakaway, and wants a brother with children. So Rodovid, everything will be fine. So maybe I want a brother, and not just everything will be fine. 
it's okay, everything's fine. And she goes, Rebbe, can you say something more? Just your husband's have a big balkari, let him go home up in whatever the Pasuk says, that's going to be. So she's, that's a strange bracha. She just, she walked out, she told me, what did I get from David? She goes, tells her husband, her husband opened the Chumash, fell to Lechacha, and asked him, Right? You have the shame, that's called the shame of God, we make whatever you, I don't want to quote exactly the balkari, but I'll make you a big name, a big, you know, he had the bracha. And when she saw the bracha, the bracha she passed, bracha was the daughter's name, and said, you're going to have children. A day or two later, her daughter calls her, says, Ma, I just came from the doctor, I'm pregnant. Somehow, the Satishmire of David knew, and I can't tell you how, before the daughter herself knew that she was pregnant, that she was pregnant, therefore, David didn't say regular bracha, he just said, everything is going to be okay. Last story of the same parasha. It got to be known, MTJ, Kal Narin. Whoever buys Kalnarim became a bliss in the last few years, guaranteed to have children that year. And it got to be when we first, when I was first younger than in MTJ, an Aliyah would go for $18. I don't, I don't know, I don't want to ask what it goes for in shoes like here, but Lowy side is different in Hasaga and went for $18, $25. And when it got to be not here about this bracha, that double gives a special bracha for everyone who gets Kalnarim. And he gives a special mishabach, a special bracha, and people said that they got children after that. Then it became a big bidding war. People come in from Lakewood from all over, fighting for their kol narim. Aliyah, they stay all yotav in the yeshiva just to get kol narim, and went up to five, ten, twenty thousand dollars. MTJ, that's money that we uh, we're not from Queens, you know. It's not money that we don't know about. And one year, a guy bought a bracha. He told he told someone that he's going to buy the bracha, and he came in, gave up his family. Come to yeshiva and stay in someone's house in the lower side and forget Kal Narim. And he started bidding. It was a bidding war. When he hit eighteen or twenty thousand dollars, the guy said, "I can't afford twenty thousand dollars for Leah." And he stopped. And the other guy got the Leah. The guy came to a dove in tears and said, "I gave up my yantu with my family to be here alone for this Kal Narim." Does Rebbe have a bracha for me, even if I didn't get Kal Narim? So those are doing. And he was really also upset with that Daphnish bracha. It ended up a few days later, again, his wife goes home, his wife finds out his wife is pregnant. How did Dove do that? I don't know. I once asked Dove about some of his brachas. He said, but if it comes out of my mouth easily, then it's a good bracha. If it doesn't flow smoothly, I just can't think of what to say, then I, I don't say. And I guess the Satishmai that Bajram gave him, that Rajram knows the MS. And just didn't make it easy for David to say the bracha. So he knew he doesn't fight it. He gets that he sees that he can't just think of the right words to say. He just doesn't say it. And both times, the Sadhguru came through. It's getting late. I'll just throw in one other story, which to me was a tremendously embarrassing thing to publicly announce. But I think it's a tremendous Musahaskil. Boy, Yeshiva. Sixth grade boy, about four years ago. Now he's in high school, obviously. I called him over to me and said, David, come here. Ignore me. David, come here. Ignore me. So, I'm Mel Yeshiva. I call you two, three times, you don't come over to me. So I went over to him. And I said, explain. You didn't hear me? He goes, yeah, yes, with David. I said, what are you, a wise guy? Yes, I called you to come over to me. He goes, my name's not David. I said, excuse me? Because my name is David. I'm a Swati tradition. I decided to be called David. So I said, I teach, I give a shir and then the yeshiva in elementary school just to keep my foot still in chinuch. So teachers can't say, you don't understand kids in classes today, they misbehave. You don't understand. I still teach to show them that I have no problem. And... <laughs> And I taught that Yeshmuel. Nabi Shmuel speaks of David and Melech, every other Pasuk. I said, David is David, Dalit, Bob Dalit. It's David and Melech. Sometimes David, because David has a year. I said, no, it doesn't. And he goes, yes, it does. I said, I'll give you $1,000 if you show me where David spelled with the year. 
And of course, he opens up by Baruch David, which I never noticed before. If you want to take a sit look and if I'm telling you this true story or not, it's by Baruch David, the first passage, by Baruch David, David is spelled with the Yud. Of course, the passage from Divriya Yavim, David is spelled with the Yud. Uh-oh. Went through David. I said, Rebbe, I was just exaggerating, telling this boy, I'll give you $1,000 because the chutzpah just unmitigating. It was like such a level of chutzpah. So David tells me, yeah, I said, you said it, you have to give it. So ready, a thousand dollars? Where do I have a thousand dollars? Don't worry, I'm sure the father won't cash a check. Okay, Rebbe, your mouth to God's ears. I hope not. I gave the guy a thousand dollar check. And David said, the guy's, the boy's gonna go home and show his father a thousand dollar check from the now. The father's gonna wanna know what it's about. And the kid will tell him. And the father will say, how do you say you up the check? Four days later, I went through my account. <laughs> <laughs> I ran through the with my bank statement. I said, Rebbe, it went through the account. He goes, so it did go through the account. He says, Rebbe, what do I do? He goes, I'll tell you what's one thing you're not going to do. What's that? He goes, you'll never exaggerate again. <laughs> <laughs> the yashus that he had of MS Kite, whatever you say comes it has to be fulfilled, is so, a lesson I learned a thousand times over. <laughs> a lesson I learned that the Yashras, when someone says something, how straight you have to be. And um, I apologize for the different video screen, but I was told that the last few minutes of the Zoom that we had did not come out so clear. So people have asked for the last story that I mentioned. So I mentioned that while mentioning just one small snippet of the David's Mida of Anivas and some of his Koach of his Brachos and we didn't even touch upon any of his minhagim halachos or anything like that. So I mentioned one minute just to show you what I meant by minhagim. We know Ramosha used to put on tefillin with only wrapping on his left hand one or two straps because he held a hepsic till he wrap up all seven straps and then he would stop and put on the shalosh and then finish this finished doing it. That was, I think, a minute that he got it from his Rebbe. When Rudova got by Mitzvah at 13 years old, the first time he puts on tefillin, he started putting on the way Rebdova does. Rebdova stopped him and goes, what are you doing? And he said, I'm putting on tefillin the way you do, Tati. So he goes, I have a for my Rebbe. You don't. You have to remember, you have to always be normal. Always don't think you're better or act better or different than anybody else. You have to be normal. And if the whole world puts it on with all straps around this way, that's what you should do also. When I saw a Ruben put on tefillin, that he put on where Moshe did, I remember going over to Ruben, I said, my hi, your brother was told clearly by your father to put it on regularly. So he explained to me that you have to understand my brother was always an MTJ, never left. I, on the other hand, learned in Tells and then Lakewood, so I would come home for Ben Azmanim. Sukkot Chalamoid, we put on tefillin without a bracha. Maybe one or two Shabbos when we had walked from yeshiva. So either I did daven in yeshiva or I didn't. If I did, that one time or two times when I daven, my father wasn't necessarily focusing on me. So he didn't notice how I put on tefillin. But I saw how he did. So Maisa Rav, Maisa Av, I followed my father. And I put on what I saw. If he told Rav David not to, I can't answer because he never told me. So that's why it's very interesting that in Yeshiva Stan Island, everybody in Yeshiva follows their, their Rosh Hashira of Ruvain. He follows his father putting on tefillin one, a few straps and that's it. While everyone in MTJ puts it on normal, normal meaning the way the whole world does it, putting on all the straps on their hand. Because David was very mocked on being normal and not standing out. And when being videoed by the Yeshiva, the Rebetzin had mentioned that point also, that he was very, very uh, careful to always be normal. 
I remember once on a Matzai Shabbos Pirche, Reb David was learning here, and a boy, a little boy, eight-year-old boy, nine-year-old boy, complained that he got a dime or a quarter or a dime, I think in those days, for buy a chocolate bar from the machine, because he learned well, and there was no chal of Yisrael chocolate. Those days, they had only Hershey's chocolate in the machine. So he complained to Reb David that, why can't I buy a chocolate bar? So David smiled and said, okay, and didn't say a word. He got up during the week, took out all the candy bar from the machine, the chocolate bars, reinstalled and put in only Chalb Yisrael. So the following week, the boy would come to, yesh- to Yeshiva to learn what Tzai Shabbos, and he would have a Chalb Yisrael chocolate bar. Everything he did was behind the scenes quiet. He always looked and acted very normal. But in San Hagas and his everything that he did do was always behind the scenes, very quiet and not in the public eye. Again, I wanted to thank everyone for giving me the opportunity to listen, to speak to you. I'm sorry if I was all over the place, like talking about the Shabbos, cooking, and this brachos, and Yisrael, and traveling all around. I have maybe 50 pages more to go. But I have to tell you that the chizuk I've been getting from everybody who's been listening to me to let me get a little bit of a nechama has been astounding. Hey, zichon baruch. Have a good evening.